I uh, had a thought that crossed my mind earlier this week and kind of studied it a little bit, looked through some things and wrote some things down. And then after I did it, um, if you've ever if you've ever done any studying as far as preparation for a lesson or a speech or something like that, there's sometimes after you've studied and looked at things, it just doesn't seem to flow. It doesn't seem to have that glue or whatever you want to call it that kind of holds it together and brings it to light, sends out the message that you want to send or whatever. So uh, as I meditated on it and meditated on the passage of Scripture a good bit, I was thinking about it, and it ended up that um, it ended up that I just started studying something else along the same lines, but another totally different passage of scripture, Old Testament passage. Worked on that, studied that, and uh, got a message together. And I thought, well, that's that's probably that must be Sunday mornings. That must be Sunday morning's message. So I put all that together, and everything was fine. Well, this morning, while I was finishing the touches on that message there. Uh, the Lord drew my attention back to what I'd been previously studying. And um, so I just started writing things down. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm just preaching what I wrote down. And I uh, don't know how long it's going to take. Uh, but uh, I've just, I, I have got notes scattered everywhere. I was uh, trying to look for, uh, trying to look for certain things. And um, anyway, um, Okay, I see that. I, I can't read my own writing. Uh, but you pray for me, if you will. I, I, I'm normally a little more prepared uh, than what I am today, but I just, I, I feel a, I hate to use the word feel, but I, I'm impressed uh, to deal with this passage because this is what has been on my mind, on my heart, and this is what I've been meditating on, even though I've not got everything like I want it to be together. But I hope that you'll pray for me, all right? And I want to try to be a help to you and a help to those that are here and appreciate all of our visitors being here. Thank you for coming. And uh, Ms. Gruber, I know, is excited about her family being with her. That's a blessing. And uh, I praise the Lord for that. Good to see the Gillums. I wasn't, kind of wasn't expecting them today, but do pray for Brother Gillum in the loss of his uncle. And uh, his brother previously passed away. So pray for them, if you will, and uh, pray for comfort for them. All right. John chapter number 8, if you found your place and you can, would you stand? I'm going to read a passage of scripture here. And uh, I'm going to deal with something that I'm not supposed to deal with. All right? How do you like that? Uh, and I, when I start dealing with it, I can see all of the, you know, woe unto you lawyers and uh, scribes. I know what's going to end up happening. You don't know. You don't know. And so I'm going to show you uh, what Jesus wrote. All right. Look what the Bible says. John chapter number eight, verse number one, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst They say unto him, Master, see how kind they are? This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him. They were putting him to a test. They were trying to find out what he was going to say. They probably knew the largeness of the Lord's heart, his willingness to forgive 
and that he was a friend of sinners. And they probably knew all of that. And so now they're trying to see, are you going to negate the law? What are you going to do about the law of Moses? You're a Jew. You're, uh, you say you're a follower of God. What are you going to do about the law of Moses? And so they ask him that. And the Bible says in verse number 6, This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Now the word wrote is interesting because it literally means to write. Not, not, he's not doodling. He's not just drawing figure eights and circles and cars and trucks in the sand. He's not building sand castles or anything like that. In there, but he's writing something. He's actually writing. Wrote in the ground, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. He's almost ignoring them. He's acting like he's ignoring them. So when they continued asking him, they're not going to let him get by with this. So they continue to ask him. He lifted himself, lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the day. Help us, Lord, I pray, as we endeavor to follow your will and follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I do pray for your wisdom and grace, and I pray for your help. I pray that you would allow the message to find lodging in the hearts of the people. And I pray that it would sink down through their mind and into their heart and make a change in their life because of what they hear today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have given us. And I pray the Holy Spirit to help us. Deal with the heart of that sinner that might be here without Jesus Christ, that might be here lost, unsaved. No relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I pray that you would convince that sinner of their condition and help them to see their need to repent and trust the Lord. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In John chapter number 8, we have the account of the woman that was taken in adultery. Some Bibles don't even put this in the Bible. They say it doesn't belong there. But I'm glad our Bible has this in in the Word of God. I'm glad that we have this account of this event that took place. And to me, it's a very intriguing account. It's a very interesting because it's very interesting because of all of the setting. Uh, they have just come out of the Feast of Booths, uh, which is our Feast of Tabernacles, which was a very high and holy day and a day of great jubilation, a great uh, appreciation of the Lord and His provision and all that God had done for them and On that last day, the great day of the feast, you know, Jesus said those great words in John chapter number seven, verse number 37, but he, he, they're coming out of this time of dwelling in booths and remembering and and tabernacles, remembering when they were wandering in the wilderness and how that God was always faithful and God always provided. So this is a time of great spiritual, I guess you could say they're, they're at a spiritual height. The nation of Israel is at a spiritual height. They're, they're thinking spiritual thoughts. They're doing spiritual things. 
After Jesus leaves the people and after they uh, have left and then they discuss some things there in John chapter number 7 and John chapter number 8, Jesus heads out to the Mount of Olives and every other man went to their house. Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, of course, is a very significant place because several things happened there at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was a place where He taught the Lord's Prayer. The Mount of Olives was a place where He wept over Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives was the place of His... uh, uh, the acclamation of His entry into the holy city on the back of a donkey. His ascension into heaven was near the Mount of Olives. So all of these events around the Mount of Olives, Jesus liked the Mount of Olives. And while He's there, probably praying, early the next morning He comes down into the city. And after coming down into the city, He comes again into the temple. And the people come in and begin to listen to what Jesus has to say. As He's teaching them, now you can imagine what it might have been like. Imagine now we're sitting in a service. I'm not Jesus, but we're sitting in a service and we're listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe similar to this. I don't know how big the crowd was. There might have been a hundred people there. There might have been fifty people. There might have been a thousand. But they're sitting there and they're listening to the Lord teach. And in the midst of the sermon, all of a sudden a great commotion starts at the back of the room. And as there, that great commotion, then all of a sudden these Spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and some of the others bring the Lord a a lady that was taken in adultery. I can't even imagine what she might look like and what she might be like. In my mind, I'm guessing that she's probably not fully clad if she was taken in adultery in the very act. In my mind, I'm thinking maybe she's got a dirty sheet wrapped around her. Maybe they have just thrown some things on her. Maybe one of those men took off their jacket and put it on her. I don't know. I don't know what she's like. But I know what she's probably feeling. She's probably deeply embarrassed. The thing about sin is, is sin always has a way of being brought to light. No matter what kind of pains we may take to try to make sure it stays secret, sin always has a, it always seems like there's some way, some crazy way that sin is brought to light. And this woman has had her sin brought to light. She's brought into a crowd of people. Everybody's looking at her. Everybody's looking at the Lord. Everybody's looking around at other people trying to figure out what they're going to do next. And as they bring this lady in and they set her down in the midst of her, in the midst of all of them, they ask the Lord a question. They ask Him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now imagine if you with me, if you will, for just a minute, there's a great contrast going on at this point. There's a lot of different things that are at play. There's a lot of different things that are going on. First of all, there's a contrast of the audience. The audience, there's an age group. There's a, there's a difference in age group. There's men and women and children. There's old and young. Everybody, probably from multitudes of ages, are there. There's a great age difference. There's a great age gap. There's probably some children there that are learning a lesson that morning from the from the mouth of the Lord. And now, not only are they learning a lesson from the mouth of the Lord, but now here this 
These men bring this woman in who was caught in adultery and her sin is exposed even before the children. Her sin is exposed even before the men. Her sin is exposed even before the ladies, before the elderly, before the middle-aged. All of these people now are getting a, a, a vision of this woman and her sin. Not only that, there's a contrast not only in the audience of their age, but also a contrast in the accusers of their aim. They come in speaking like they're on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. They come in because they come in and they say in verse number 4, Master, which is a phrase that they would use like reverend or pastor or teacher or rabbi. And they were just offering to put him in a position where as a teacher they want to know his opinion on what the Word of God says. Especially in dealing with this woman's sin. They need to know his opinion on what he thinks the Bible says on this woman's sin. So they've got that going on. But we know from what the Bible tells us in verse number 6, this they said, tempting him. Even though they talk like they're on the side of the Lord by calling him master and showing great respect, there is no respect there. They're just trying to, they're trying to lay a snare. There's a ploy that's being set. There's a, there's a reason that they have behind all of this and they just want to know what his opinion is. They want to know how he's going to deal with it. And they're hoping that they can catch him in some of the words that they, he might say. So there's a contrast in the audience. There's a contrast in their age. There's a contrast in the aim of the accusers. But there's also a contrast in the aptitude of the people. You have scribes and Pharisees that are there who are considered the most spiritual and they are the most understanding of the law of God. Then you have others that are probably very ignorant concerning the Word of God that they have no idea really what the Bible even says about these types of things. They Remember, they didn't have a copy of the Bible like you and I have a copy of the Bible. They just had scrolls, they had pieces, they had parchments. They didn't have what you and I have and not everybody had all of that. And they were just going on what the Lord was saying. So there were some that were very ignorant of the Word of God. There were some that were very wise in the Word of God. There were some that knew exactly what the Bible said and what the law said. And there were some that had no idea about what the Bible said about a woman taken in adultery who was caught in the very act. So their aptitude is different. So the Lord's dealing with a very contrasted group of people in a very contrasting situation. He's dealing with this whole situation and He... Really, it's really kind of, uh, it's kind of precarious because you want to be able to answer the question in order that the young ones can understand, but you also want to be able to answer the question in order that those that are spiritually adept, they will know what he's saying. Then you want to answer the question so that those who don't know anything spiritually will understand what the Bible, how the Bible feels about sin. You've got all these people and all these different gauges and stages of life And the Lord has to answer that. Boy, He's so wise. I'm glad I know the Lord Jesus and He's so wise. And so, they want to know what the law of God says. 
Now, these are people who have implied that they know the law of God. If you go back and look back in chapter number 7, verse number 47, when uh, they're discussing about who the Lord is, the Bible tells us over there, it says, Then answered them, uh, the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Uh, uh, Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on Him, speaking of the Lord Jesus? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. So here they're saying these are people that don't even know the law. They're cursed. We know the law. So these are very smart people, and they come in telling about the law of God. We'll not take the time, but if you were to go back over and to study a little bit about it and look and see what the law of God says, you would find out that the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter number 22, verses 21 and 22, and Leviticus chapter number 20, verse number 10, does not necessarily say that they should be stoned. The ones that should be stoned, from what I can gather, are priests' daughters who commit adultery and those who have been betrothed to a man and then he finds out that she was not faithful prior to their marriage. Then they can be stoned. But a woman taken in adultery in the very act, the Bible just says that she should be put to death. Her and the man should be, should, should be put to death. Many of the rabbis say it should have been by a strangulation. But whatever the case may be, they now are coming and saying, okay, here's a woman that has been caught in the act of adultery and she's been caught in the very act and we're bringing her to her. We know what the law says. And since we know what the law says, we want to know what you have to say. At this point, maybe in the midst of the questioning, Jesus just stoops down and he begins to write. And there's a lot of questions about this. A lot of people have preached messages on what Jesus wrote. I've heard messages preached that Jesus wrote the law. I've heard messages preached that because the law convicts and grace covers that he wrote the law first and then he wrote grace next. I don't, I've heard messages on it. I've heard some people say that he wrote their names in the dust. He wrote the names of all the people that were there. I've heard people, man, I've heard messages saying that he wrote, uh, he wrote things about, about the word of God, different verses and so on. I don't know what he wrote in all honesty. And did you know that this is the first and only time in the Bible that Jesus ever wrote anything. He never wrote a letter. He never wrote a book. This is the first and only time that Jesus himself ever wrote anything. Only four times in the Bible did God himself ever write anything. He wrote a standard of righteousness in the tables of stone, the law of God. He wrote in the plaster on the wall of Nebuchadnezzar's house when he wrote, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. He wrote not only a standard of righteousness, but he also wrote a sentence of retribution on him. He wrote a signature of redemption here, but he also wrote in the tables, the fleshly tables of our heart, he wrote a substantive reminder, a substantive reminder that we should remember the law of God. So God wrote several things. There were four things that God wrote, but this is the only thing that the Lord Jesus wrote that he himself ever wrote down. I was thinking about that. What did he write? 
Don't you want to know what he wrote? I want to know what he wrote. The seven thunders that utter in the book of Revelation that John is told not to say anything. No, don't write it. Don't write what they say. I want to know what the seven thunders said. I want to know the things I'm not supposed to know. The Bible says that there are secrets that belong to God. But I want to know some of those secrets. Don't you? Am I the only wicked one in the group, I guess? But I want to know what was written. I want to know what was said. I want to know what Jesus put on the ground. And when he wrote it, he wrote it in such a fashion that after he wrote it, he stands up, after he wrote with his finger on the ground, he stands up as they continued asking him over and over again. He finally lifted himself up and said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And that's all he said. And then he went back to writing again. He kneels down and he starts writing again. I said, Lord, I'd like to know what you wrote. So I was sitting in my study, eating a pizza pizza. Had pizza and pickles. And while I was eating that, a vision came to me. No, I'm kidding. Didn't happen. I had a guy send me a thing yesterday, and he said, if you can tell me why pizza is baked round in the oven, put in a square box, and cut in triangles to eat, if you can answer that question, you will understand women all the days of your life. Uh, So... I don't know if that's true or not, but I want to know. And I thought to myself, all right, Lord, what was it that you wrote? What was it that you wrote? And I thought, and this is the thought that crossed my mind. This is the thought of the wonder of what is written. The wonder of what is written. That's what I want to preach on for just a few minutes, on the wonder of what is written. I don't know exactly what Jesus wrote. But I know that whatever he wrote fit everybody in that audience. Whatever he wrote, it fit the contrast of the age. The young ones understood it and the old ones understood it. It fit the contrast of the congregation. The men understood it and the women understood it. It fit the contrast of the, con- the aptitude of the congregation. There were those that were very spiritual that understood it and those that knew nothing about God as well that understood it. Those that didn't know anything about the Bible, who were ignorant about the Bible, they understood it as well as anybody else there. They all understood it. Even those who came to try to trick the Lord, who had an intent, listen, in their mind, that they were not even there to hear what Jesus had to say. Whatever he wrote, and it was in agreement with whatever he said, when he said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And whatever he wrote and whatever he said was in such agreement that everybody in the congregation understood exactly what was being said. Everybody. Even the woman with sin in her life understood what was being said. Even the men who were there to only cause problems, they understood exactly what was written. Even those that were just there to find out whatever they could find out, those who were just there just to observe and see what was going on, they understood exactly what Jesus wrote. They understood it all. And I think that's the wonder of what is written. When you think about the Word of God, one thing I like about the Word of God is it fits every age. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, it fits every age. 
A child of four years old can believe the same Bible that a man of 70 years old can believe. And a child of four, year old, four years old can be saved just like a man of 70 years old. And a child that's brought up in a Christian home can understand the Bible as much as one that wasn't brought up in a Christian home. Isn't that a blessing? I'm glad that what is written, there's a wonder with what is written. The Word of God is applicable and relevant to every person in the congregation regardless of how old you are and where you find your station in life. Regardless of your aptitude, regardless of your aim, you might be trying. There have been men that have tried to prove the Bible wrong and end up as atheists endeavor to try to prove the Bible wrong and end up turning around believing the Word of God because of all the evidence, the archaeological evidence, the biological evidence, the sociological evidence, the scientific evidence. Everything all of a sudden now begins to point that the Bible really is true. There were men that studied the Bible and found that out with the wrong intent, just like these men did. But as they read it, and as they studied it, and as they verified it, they found out the Word was relevant to them as much as it was to those that were caught in adultery. The Word was just as relevant to the child, the innocent child, as it was to the person ensnared by sin. It was just as relevant So I want to preach on that thought for just a few minutes this morning. I want to preach on this thought on the wonder of what is written. I don't know exactly what he wrote, but I know it fit everybody. And this is what I found out. This is what I, this is what I wrote down this morning. I just want to, I'm just going to share this with you. We'll be done. We'll go to the house. Number one, first thing I found out is whatever he wrote will find you where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. The word of God will find you wherever you are. You might be in the depths of sin. Guess what? The Word of God can find you there. You might be in the pinnacles of a religious ceremony and the Word of God can find you there. You might be someone who's a skeptic on the outside looking in trying to figure out what's going on and the Word of God can find you there. You might be somebody who really doesn't even understand all that there is to know about the Bible and you're just kind of confused as to whether or not the Bible really is the Word of God. Guess what? The Bible can find you there. They can find you. It can find you wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I'm glad for one day that there was a day when the Word of God found me. I'm glad there was a day when the Word of God came to where I was and found me in a trailer park on the bad side of town in Lexington, Kentucky. And somebody shared the Word of God with me. And not just with me, but shared the Word of God with my mom. And shared the Word of God with my sisters. And shared the Word of God with my other sister. And they've all trusted the Lord as their Savior. And I thank the Lord for that. But God found us at different stages in our life. I've seen little children come to Christ. I've seen older men come to Christ. I've seen skeptics come to Christ. But all of them, the Word of God was applicable in their life and relevant in their life when they gave it a chance to do the work that it needed to do. It'll find you where you are. You say, preacher, I'll be honest with you. I'm so messed up. I don't even... I don't, when I read the Bible, it doesn't make sense to me. You keep reading it. You just keep, keep staring at what was written. It might have been in your mind written in the sand. It might have been in your mind written in the dirt. It may not be there anymore. What you read yesterday may not even be there anymore. You just keep reading it. Keep looking at it. It'll find you and it'll help you and it's relevant to you in the situation in the life that you're facing right now. Wherever you are. You might be in sorrow. The Word of God is still relevant to you. You might be in, you might be on, you might be in, in joy and having great, uh, jubilation in your life. The Word of God can help you and find you. The Word of God is 
applicable and relevant to every person in the congregation. Don't be afraid of using the Bible. Don't be afraid of quoting the Bible. Don't be afraid of sharing the Word of God. It is applicable. It'll find you where you are. Found the woman in adultery. Found the Pharisees. You say, how do you know it found the Pharisees? Because when Jesus, after He wrote it on the ground, after He stooped down and wrote it on the, on the ground, then He said what He said about He that is without sin among you, let Him first cast a stone to her. Then He stooped down and wrote on the ground again. The Bible says that they all went out from the eldest to the youngest. They all started making their way. They all they were convicted, went out one by one, being at the beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing in the midst. So there they were. But it found everybody. It found the intent of their heart. They weren't there to try to put this woman to death. They weren't there to try to fulfill the law of Moses. They weren't there to try to show the law of Moses, how the law of Moses worked and, and what they, what they knew about their, about their knowledge of the word of God. They weren't there for that. They were there to do one thing and that was to trick Jesus. And whatever Jesus wrote found them out. Whatever the Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. This Bible is very relevant. What is written is very relevant, and it'll help you and it'll find you where you are. Not only that. Number two, the Word will find you where you are. But number two, the Word will give you what you need. What's your need today? What do you need? Well, I need some encouragement. Do you know the Word can give you what you need? Preacher, I've messed up. I've messed up and I feel like everybody knows about my sin. I feel like everybody knows where I'm at. I feel like everybody knows everything about me. Preacher, I have messed up. I have blown it royally. Guess what? The Word of God can help you in your need. What Jesus wrote on the ground, listen, what Jesus wrote on the ground, I guarantee you, even though it was convicting to all of those that were there, whatever Jesus wrote on the ground was a great comfort to that woman standing there in the condition she was in. That word, whatever it was that Jesus wrote on the ground, as He stooped on the ground and wrote as though He heard them not, whatever He pinned in the ground, whatever He wrote, whatever was written, the only thing Jesus ever wrote, we don't even know what it is, but whatever it was, it was very perfect. It was exact, exactly what everybody in the congregation needed. It was exactly what they needed. And it was so, it was so exact that it began at the eldest of them and they began to be convicted in their hearts and they began to walk out and maybe the youngest, they felt like, now the show's over, nothing's gonna happen. I don't know, but I, since everybody else is leaving, I'm leaving too. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it met every need and everybody left and it gave everybody what they needed. Those people who were trying to trick the Lord, the Lord met their need by showing him what he wrote in the ground, by saying what he said, and it was an agreement. What he said and what he wrote was an agreement. Everything Jesus said was in agreement with everything that was written. And what he wrote was in agreement with what he said, and after he said it, they knew that they had no argument against it, and it was exactly what they needed. They, they didn't need an explanation. Nobody said, now wait a minute, what does that mean? 
I don't see that anywhere. I don't see anybody saying, well, well, wait a minute. You didn't answer my question. They'd been asking and asking and asking and asking and waiting and waiting and waiting. Come on, are you going to answer? This is what Moses, this is what the law of Moses said. What are you going to say? You got anything to say about it? What are you going to do? Huh? What are you going to say? They've been asking and pressuring him. All of a sudden, after he writes on the ground, he stands up. He looks at them. He that is vowed among you, let him first cast his stone. And then he starts writing again. And they look at what he wrote. And they listen to what he said. And they were convicted in their minds and in their hearts. And they had their needs met. They did not need for Jesus to prove anything after that. They didn't need Jesus to prove anything. They walked away. You know what I found out? When I'm wanting God to prove Himself, I can go to the Word of God and I can find out God's already proven Himself over and over and over and over again. God gives us exactly what we need from His Word. That's the wonder. Man, that is the wonder of this book. That is the wonder of what is written. There's even some things maybe I don't even understand, but it just still it meets a need. Just listening to it being read. Just hearing it, just reading it, just looking over it, just studying, meditating on it as you read it. it, it it'll give you what you need. That's the wonder of the what is written. Gave everybody what they needed. I can only imagine what that woman felt like. Maybe she's sitting, maybe she's at this point, maybe she's kneeling. I don't know. Maybe she's standing, maybe they forced her to stand up. But she's standing there, maybe she's got two men on her arms. They're holding her up and they're saying, we want to know what you say. And as they're standing there, Jesus stoops down, he writes on the ground, he stands up and then he goes down and he writes again. All of a sudden, maybe these were the two oldest guys in the group. They just let her arms go. They turned and walked away. Maybe they were the two youngest guys in the group. They were standing there waiting to see what everybody else was going to do. And they saw all the old Pharisees and the scribes and the others walking away. And maybe once they were gone, they said, well, we're out of here. And they, they were gone. But I can imagine how she must have felt when she felt all the pressure relieved. Well, I thank God for His Word. Man, I'm telling you, there's been some times... When the pressure just gets relieved just by reading the Word of God. I I don't even know if you know what I'm talking about, but it just gives you what you need. You're you're fearful? The Word of God can help you. Are you, are you. Are you faithless? The Word of God can help you. Are you sinful? The Word of God can help you. Are you, are you proud? The Word of God can help you. Are you arrogant? The Word of God can help you. Are you spiteful? The Word of God can help you. Are you somebody that's just out to try to get everybody else? Listen, the Word of God can help you. God can help you. I promise you, if you look at His Word, it's the wonder of the Word. It's the wonder of what is written. You don't even have to know all that it says. But I promise you, it'll find you where you are. And I promise you, it'll give you what you need. And I promise you, it will repair. It will repair you where you're broken. I don't know the story on this woman. She was caught in adultery in the very act. I don't know if that's the case or not. I really don't know. I have no idea. All we know is what the Bible tells us. And these guys were a little less than honest anyway. And who's to say that the man that was 
caught in adultery in the very act was maybe even with her at that accusation, maybe even bringing that accusation. It's almost like he was part of the whole ruse. If we can, uh, this is what we'll do. I know I can do this and we can make this happen and then we can go get Jesus and we'll, we'll, we'll kill two birds with one stone. No pun intended. We'll kill two people with one stoning. We'll be able to take care of the law of Moses. We'll be able to take care of this woman. We'll be able to take care of Jesus. We'll be able to take care of everybody. We'll just, we'll just take care of it all and we can get rid of this man who's running around saying all these things and doing all these things. And here was a woman that was broken in her spirit. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine how she felt? Can you imagine in her mind what's going through her mind? Here was the man that was supposed to saying all these things about loving her and all this stuff. And now he's one of the ones that might even be there with a stone in his hand ready to cast a stone at her. And they bring her to Jesus. We want to know what you say. What do you got to say about this? He says what he says. He does what he does. They walk away. When they walk away, Jesus looks at the woman and says, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? I don't know how it happened. In my mind, I picture it. Here's this partially clothed woman. Hair messed up. Feet are dirty. She's been walking through the dusty Judean hillside and they've been dragging her, maybe even her feet. The tops of her feet are dirty because they've been dragging her up there. And she's so embarrassed. She's so ashamed. She feels so dirty. All these religious leaders and they don't, listen, they take her to the temple. They take her to the house of God. What is supposed to be a holy place and they bring her in, they drag her in and they bring her in there and they put her in there and they parade her before everybody and they do all that. And you can imagine the shame that was involved in all of that. Maybe she's sobbing. Maybe she's too stunned to cry. Maybe she's so hurt. Have you ever been too hurt to cry? There's been times that I wanted to cry and couldn't cry. I just didn't have the emotional strength to cry. Maybe that's where she is. She's confused. And then when Jesus makes the statement and writes on the ground, whatever He wrote on the ground so comforted her. That he asked, he said, woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? Maybe she looks up and she looks around. Those men that drug her in, she sees the last one walking out the door. She looks around. Those men that were carrying stones are now no longer there. Those men that were, uh, maybe even the man that she was with is gone and nobody's there and She just says, no man, Lord. Nobody's condemning thee, me. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. You know, you'll never find in the Scriptures where Jesus ever condemns anybody. When people are condemned, 
It is God giving them what they want. It's God giving them what they've asked for. They've rejected Jesus. They said, I would rather have hell than Jesus. And so God says, I don't want to give you hell. I want to give you Jesus. And people say, no, I'd rather go to hell. I'd rather die and spend eternity in the abyss. I'd rather die and spend eternity away from God. I don't want God in my life. And God says, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not trying to condemn you. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. That's not why I sent Him. I didn't send Him to condemn you. I sent Him to save you. And I'm trying to save you, but if that's what you want, that's what I want. I want to go to hell. I want to spend eternity. I want to be away from you. I want to be away from church. I want to be away from the Bible. I want to be away from religious people. I want to be away from all of that. And God with a broken heart will say, okay. But He's not condemning you. And you won't find anywhere where Jesus condemns anybody. But I tell you what he does do. He does correct. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You don't need to do this anymore. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about what you were doing. I don't know what it was like. I don't know, I don't know what kind of person you are. He does. But I don't know what kind of person you are. I don't know where you're from. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to fix it. If you are condemned, but if you feel condemned by the Lord, you need to fix that. You need to go and sin no more. You don't need to do that anymore. You need to say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to walk away from it. And you know what? The Word of God will give you what you need. It will repair you where you are broken. If you are broken in your spirit, the Word of God will repair your spirit. If you are broken in your in your soul, the Word of God will repair your soul. Uh, I, I like what Psalm 103 says. Uh, Psalm 103 is, is, is Solomon, if I'm not mistaken, talking about his own soul. He's speaking to him so, his own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. The benefits of your soul. What are the benefits? He forgiveth all thine iniquities. Listen. Who healeth all thy diseases. The diseases of the soul can be healed by the Lord. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Listen. The word of God. What is written. The wonder of what is written. It fixes. It repairs what is broken in your life. He said, man, my marriage is broken. The Word of God can fix it. I believe it. I believe if you'll do what it says, it'll fix it. Preacher, my life is broken. My life is messed up. The Word of God can fix it. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. The word of God can fix it. If you'll do what it says, it'll fix it. I promise you, it'll fix it. Preacher, my heart is broken. The word of God can fix it. I promise you, it'll fix it. All of these people that were there that day, all of them had needs of different kinds. All of them came from different backgrounds. All of them were in spiritual, different spiritual conditions. But whatever Jesus wrote... 
when He stooped down and He wrote on the ground, He stood up and He said, He that is without sin among you, let Him first cast a stone at her. And then He stooped down and He wrote again, as though He heard them not the first time. And as they, as He's writing on the ground the second time, I just can't help but figure that the woman standing there looking at everything that's written with her head down. And she sees it. And it fixed her. I don't believe that woman ever sinned that way again. I believe she was fixed. And this is what I believe about the gospel. Now if I didn't believe it, I'd do something else. But I believe the gospel can take a life that is messed up and fix it. That's the wonder of what is written. If I didn't believe it, I'd do something else. I'd sell vacuum cleaners, sell cars. I'd sell I don't probably I'd probably work in a factory. I'd do anything. But I believe that this book can change young person. You might have stained your life by bad decisions. And there's some things you cannot undo. I understand that, but I'm telling you what. The Word of God can fix it. There's your answer. That's the wonder of what is written. Don't shun it. Don't close it. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Listen to it. Read it. Look at it. Study it. Find out what it has to say. And the Word of God can fix it. The wonder of what is written is no matter where you are, the Bible has an answer for you. If you'll just trust it. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father, I thank you and I praise you for this testimony of this woman. I see myself and her as an individual who's made stupid mistakes, trusted people I shouldn't have trusted, followed wisdom I should never have followed, made decisions I should have never made, been places I should have never gone. But I'm thankful that you've given me a copy of what is written. And because I have this copy... Someone introduced it to me and it found me where I was. Just a sinner boy. And it gave me what I needed. And it's helped me many, many years. And it's fixed things that have been broken. Thank you for the Word of God. My Father, I pray that you deal with the hearts of your people and every person in the congregation. That just as you stooped and wrote on the ground that day and everyone read it, everyone was helped. I pray the Word of God find help, give help to somebody who needs help today. And if there's someone here that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior... They've never been forgiven of their sin. They've never been 
convicted and they've never repented and they've never known the joy of forgiveness of sins, I pray that you would work in that heart to such a degree that they will not be able to leave without getting that settled today. Deal with every heart, every life. Father, we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. The instruments are playing. The altar's open as God's spoken to you. I encourage you to do business with the Lord. See, the wonder of what is written is it'll help you. It'll find you where you are. You might not even know where you are, but the Bible can help you figure out where you are. I don't know what my problem is. I don't know why I feel the way I feel. I don't know why I do what I do. The Bible can help you with that. There's a word for you. Specifically for you. Maybe written in the sand. Maybe written in the dust in the temple floor. But it's for you. I love this book. I love this Bible. I wish I could memorize it. I wish I knew every verse. There's so much there that can help you. It can fix what's broken. I'm telling you, I've seen Him do it. Just believe it. Accept it. Do it. Follow it. Love it. You obey the Lord this morning. Do what God would have you to do.